Greetings. Welcome to the Optic Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Chuck Randolph, Optic's Executive Director of Strategic Intelligence. From 30 years as a military officer to transforming corporate executive protection, event security, and intelligence services teams to function beyond their traditional roles, protection, risk management, intelligence, and threat mitigation have been front and center throughout my career. This podcast series will explore the turbulent world of risk, security, and protection through conversations with leaders and innovators in the field. Now, on to the discussion. Well, GSX 2022, I'm here with the Chuck Tobin. So you have Chuck and Chuck in a box and everybody watching us uh, record at GSX. How do you feel about that? Yeah, we got a great view. It's a good, good location. So, uh, well, a lot of walking to get here, though, I got to tell you. But let's be honest. So like you and I both came up from the close protection community and we're used to being in the background. And now here we are in a fishbowl with everybody looking with at the us. lights shining like- down on our heads. It shows the. The glow on my forehead, that's not a good thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A little uncomfortable for protectors to be out of the limelight, but uh, but useful. Um, Chuck, we've known each other a very long time. Uh, you, you know, Many people know you as a threat manager. Uh, many people know you as an executive protection specialist. Other people know you as a risk assessment specialist. I know you've done everything from campaign security to managing high net worth uh, uh, protective intelligence and groups of interest, people of interest. Uh, You've done concert. I mean, pretty much you've done it all. And, you know, I know myself when I'm trying to figure out a very detailed assessment, you're the first person I come to to say, here's my planning. You and I have both grown up at a time that now, you know, has this idea of intelligence driven operations led and threat informed. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, based on your background and everything you've experienced, what that might mean for you. You know, it's interesting you say it that way, Chuck, the uh, social media changed a lot of a lot of how we think about intelligence and what's out there. And um, it's changed the way teams now think about their own intelligence collection requirements. Um, and that then has a direct impact on how we think about threat assessment, right? When we think about Traditionally, doing threat assessment investigations tied to a person of concern for a principal, you know, it was it was boots on the ground, doing interviews, doing surveillance. Now you get so much more real data about what somebody's thinking and feeling from the from the online presence. So I would say, you know, just in the past ten years, especially the last five, things have changed drastically in how we think about doing that collective intelligence uh, threat assessment, protective campaign. Yeah, you know, that's that's fascinating because let's, you know, if we rewind a bit and I know like, again, you've you've done campaign management, uh, you've done, you know, advanced, you know, which means you have to do a lot of advanced work, a lot of protective intelligence back before we had computer databases in the ease of social media to be able to gather and collect dots on all the threats. And whereas before as protectors, we would be given like, here's the intelligence report, here's the protective intelligence report. It was something that we responded to, but now I think to your point, there's you know open source intelligence, telemetry and information and intelligence coming at us from all angles. So almost be, as much as it's an analyst problem, it's also the protector's problem. Oh, absolutely, because the, the intelligence changes so fast now and, and you get real time 
perspective on what you know this person's thinking, uh, what, where they're going, uh, who they're in contact with. Uh, you think about uh, historically social engineering, right? How somebody would try to make their way into the family, right? They go to the family office, they they find their way into a relationship to try and get a job. Now you look at these, you know, these predators, and, and they they will they will use online presence to network themselves through a myriad of people that they could have never found before. And now they take those relationships, they build upon them, and, and then they then have created opportunities, more opportunities than we were prepared to address historically. Yeah, you know, that's a, that is actually a great point because now the opportunities just mean there's more ways that threat or risk or individuals are trying to get into our defense, you know, which is the protective defense, our supply chain, protective supply chain, whatever. And again, it becomes a problem for the analysts and the protector because, hey, now I have more signals coming at me that I need to ascertain. And, you know, whether I'm getting them from the ground as the protection person or whether I'm someone who's doing breachback support from the analytical side saying, here's what we're sifting through that you need to know so that you can make decisions. And think about the speed of which people on the tactical end of receiving all these this information, how they have to respond. I mean, their business, well, not business, but their their operational assessment and problem solving abilities just have to happen like in the second. Well, and I think that you, you traditionally you see that the conversation has always been about the government protectors and how they have all these assets behind them. And then when you trickle down into the private sector, there's fewer and fewer resources. And a lot of, a lot of protectors are solo operations and, and they somehow have to pull all this together and be more than just uh, a body man. Right. And, and, more now than ever, I think it's important that programs really think about what is the depth of my activity need to look like, right? Do I need to plan not just for a security driver and the protective agent, but I've got to have an analyst. And we know that, you know, security people generally aren't good analysts. You're the exception <laughs> to the rule, right? I'm not sure about that, but thank but, you. Yeah, but I mean, but you find that a, a lot of, there, there's a different frame of mind, right? The different tools that go into doing analysis. How do, wait, how do you switch your mind over? And I, I'm not saying you're multi-brain, but perhaps you are because again, like you're, you're former president of ATAP, Association of Threat Assessment Professionals, and you're the vice president of the International Protective Security Board. So you have an analyst mind and let's say you have a protective operator's mind. Like, do you ever, are you ever in conflict? You know, I would actually draw a distinction there because to, for me, an, an intelligence analyst is, is a separate skill set. The, the behavioral-based threat assessment and the protective mission are closely integrated because, again, we're always looking at human behavior. What does that human behavior mean to me? Uh, but problem is, again, most often we're looking at the situational behavior. You know, how is he responding right now um, in the current situation? We aren't always thinking about the contextual issues of how does he historically respond to grievance and what does he do when he has conflict in his life? Does he always go downhill to a suicidal ideation? Uh, so I don't see a, a, a gap, really. And I think, honestly, all protectors should be well invested in the behavioral-based threat assessment side. So if, if there's a young protector who's listening to this and they're like, gosh, you know, that's something that I feel like I'm lacking in or I need more, what ways do you recommend people immerse themselves more in this idea of, like, 
behavioral threat management or, you know, and threat detection at that, that more human level? Well, I mean, the best place to start is ATAP. Again, if it's domestically, there's certainly the European Association, the African Association, Asia Pacific, Latin America, Canada, they all have associations. But the first step is to learn about threat assessment. I would start with the exceptional case study project from the Secret Service. That's a great groundbreaking kind of piece from the 90s. But if you go to ATAP's website, you'll find information about the, the Certified Threat Manager Program, their body of knowledge, download that body of knowledge and start studying it. And of course, go to the conference and get to meet people. Uh, you know, when I started with ATAP, it was in the, in the late 90s, and I just became a volunteer in, in the chapter. And I got to meet people and I connected, and before you knew it, I was a chapter president and made my way through the ranks. But you, you've gotta be involved and, and stay, I guess, contemporary with the discussion about threat assessment. Chuck, I, when I think of the word quiet professional, you're like one of the folks that comes foremost in my mind. Um, how do you view, you know, you've always been involved behind the scenes in many things, ATAP, IPSB, AIRIP. I see you, you know, quietly championing people to be involved in, you know, I, I know at at risk, you champion everyone to get their CTM and, and all kinds of things. Why is that? I mean, there's many people out there that are just busting out a living every day. You're doing that. And also you, you have a passion for being involved. You know, what drives that? You know, I mean, there's, for, for me, um, our industry is about humility, right? And, and you can't do this work effectively if you're always looking for the spotlight. And, and I think that, I think we all have to step back sometimes and, and take our narcissistic personality disorders, <laughs> step away for a second and go, why, why am I doing this? And, and I think that's what drives me is, is I don't want to be a cog in the wheel, right? I want to, I want to help be the engine behind that wheel. And and whether it's pushing developing of standards in ATAP or, or the EP industry with ASIS, we're just trying to professionalize our community. Uh, we, we, for a long time, and we see it even today, where there's a, there's a perception among many security providers that, that the executive protection community is a bunch of you know, showboys, which is absolutely not the truth. Um, the people doing really hard work, doing really good things. But, but sometimes the fame the, the, the association with high net people and their lifestyle gets us disoriented from the real mission. So I think that that's the big thing for us is always find your center, you know, what, what's in your heart, what's the reason you're doing this, and then follow that direction, not, not let the other things get in the way. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. And it's especially like keeping your eye on the ball because it's the smallest of things that sometimes will yield the greatest of results. And there are people out there every day that are just working hard and, and doing great things that quite simply, they're not online and you don't see them. That is, but that doesn't mean they're not, they're not working hard. No, it's actually interesting. You think about the, um, the close protection conference, you know, every December, we see a lot of faces we recognize, but, but I know, um, having been more of an East coast, uh, group that there, there are faces I, I know that are not there because it's mostly a West Coast crowd predominantly that has historically been there. That's changing. But there are people that have been, that I've worked with for years that just don't go because they don't know that it's, that it's there yet. They're, they're getting there. But. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we're at GSX 2022. I mean, you and I were here together last year. It was a much <laughs> different environment. I would yeah. say there's a couple more people here this year. It was a ghost town last uh, year. Yeah. I mean, what's, I mean, and I, I realize like we're only just starting, you know, the show, but I mean, 
as somebody, what is this? You're probably like tenth GSX. Oh, uh, wait, yeah, yeah, more than that. Yeah, I mean, come back to 2001. What, time what do you frame. look for when you come here? I mean, of course, you're a business owner. You're looking to make connections, but I mean, what? What other things? Yeah, do you I mean, a, a lot of it obviously is relationships and reconnecting, building those those friendships that I've had for years. But from a, from a provider or service product standpoint, uh, especially products that are supporting the EP community, you know, I was talking to one of the the uh, body armor manufacturers a few minutes ago, just trying to get their sense of what's changing in the community that the protectors should be aware of. Um, and I'll hit any any booth I think that has a, a direct correlation to what we do. Uh, certainly, there's a ton of technology here. Ontic, obviously, being one of those leaders. Um, but you know, I, I want to make sure I get time to get out and, and, and talk to. Yeah, others. you know, it, I think that's a great point. A lot of times, you come to these conferences, and you know, and I'm one of them. You're one of them. We encourage people network, network, network. Figure out your gaps. You know, make it and cover your gaps by a better networking. But there's something also to be said for like, hey, make sure that you're taking time to go and see what's here because the next thing is here somewhere. I mean, the, in the sea of individuals in, in, uh, in smoky basement of, uh, of the World Congress Center, I mean, you know, the next thing is here somewhere. Well, and, and, and again, the, the people that are the new innovators are, are wandering around. So you've got to find time to get connected with them and find out where they're going, where they're taking the market. How do you, uh, when people come to you, I mean, because, I, and again, like, like I just said, networking is a big part of this too. I mean, when, People are getting new into the industry. I don't want to say young people, but, you know, new to the industry. I'm either making a change, I'm transitioning, or I'm coming up from non-traditional sources. How do you, what advice do you give them for building their networks and for, you know, getting themselves out there other than just to, hey, come come buy my thing? Well, I mean, it all starts with the relationships, right? We, we, we know that from protection. You can't get in the door unless you know somebody who's going to give you, it's like getting a clearance, right? You can't get a clearance unless you have a reason to get a clearance. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that the first thing is, if you're looking to get in this market, you need to be at GSX, or you need to be at the Close Protection Conference, or you need to be at ATAP. You need to get out there and get to know people, build relationships, build that that confidence, as we always talk about that first cousin rule, right? So yeah, absolutely. I've got to I've got to get to that level of trust. And no matter how educated you are, how much time you spend reading books, if you haven't established the trust level, the work's not going to come. Yeah, absolutely. That first cousin rule is great. And I, and I remember, I mean, I've heard you talk about it many times, and I think it's it's well worth understanding, like, how do you become someone's first cousin? Trust, you know, trust. I mean, you're right. We could have uh, 15 numbers or letters after our name and title, but at the end of the day, it's that trust factor that I know that Chuck Tobin will get this done because he always does. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's easy, unfortunately, to lose trust, right? That one error that you do on a detail, that one error with a client, that can really hurt that relationship. But as long as you've continued to work, it's showing them that you'll do the right thing no matter what, right? No matter how painful it is, how embarrassing it is, you're always going to do the right thing for that client. That, that's that's going to say a lot for your integrity. Chuck, you, I mean, you advise a lot of high net worth individuals, a lot of organizations, companies, nonprofits, political parties, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we are in an, you know, unprecedented, I don't, you know, Fred and I had talked uh, earlier um, about that. It's not necessarily more dangerous now, but the ability to see the danger makes it unprecedented. You know, and let's talk about the environment we're just in. You have Ukraine post COVID, uh, multiple assassination attempts, 
assassinations. I mean, in some ways, like we're back in the 70s again. What are you seeing from your vantage? I mean, what are we seeing everything old is new again? I mean, what are we seeing on the risk environment? I mean, you and I actually discussed this two years ago, and I think to some extent predicted what we thought we are seeing right now, which is that uh, violence is more acceptable than it was before, whether that's in the form of an assassination, whether it's in the form of an active shooter. Um, and, and we have met better opportunities to see it coming. But what, what we see is, right, you think about that impact of COVID, the, the stress that occurred to, to people, and to some extent, it's almost like they have post-traumatic stress disorder, right? They went through this long period of, of insecurity with no coping mechanisms, and now they're trying to get back to a place of security, and they can't because the economy is a mess, there's war, people are hacking into their, their lifestyle. So there's still this, length, this, this fragility that the society is dealing with. Some people are gonna look for a way out, and they need to find something they can trust in. And, and unfortunately, the, the more they isolate themselves in that thinking, the more likely they're going to set, accept a notion of, of violence or sabotage or espionage. So I think that maybe not more uh, dangerous times, but I think the likelihood of people accepting violent alternatives is, is much higher than it ever was. That is a great point because I 100% agree with you that, um, and I just heard something this morning on the radio about the acceptability of being uh, how did they put it? In other words, snarkiness is being accepted more in corporate America. And I was thinking about that in terms of the threat, you know, threat management um, in terms of like, hey, we've been locked up for three years. It's now become the norm to kind of say what I'm thinking. But now I'm back physically. And Chuck, we haven't worked together, you know, in three years because of COVID. I don't really like you. And I say something and now, boom, there's a repercussion. And who knows what that sets off. So I, I think you're right. There's something about the social the the relearning of social norms or the transforming of social norms and how that's affecting uh, maybe the ability for people to act out because they suddenly think, oh, it's acceptable. And unfortunately, we're not equipped, uh, whether you're a frontline manager or a human resources professional or an executive protector, we're not equipped to pay attention to those, those deterioration issues that are occurring, right? We, we just think that the guys you know, acting strange or he's, his performance is diminishing and, and we just continue to let it go on. But what we don't do is begin to think about that, its connection to a grievance, yeah. right? And, and, and whether it's real or not, right? I mean, we've, we've had this discussion before, right? I, I can think that that political candidate, um, uh, if they win, um, my wife is gonna leave me. Yeah. It doesn't matter, true but, or not, right? It's you, in my head. And, and, you're right. I mean, you've you've seen people and if you look at post-op reviews of shootings and other things, some people say literally, I thought that person was talking to me on the TV, right. which for you and I, you know, doesn't seem reality, but that's not that person's reality. Hey, you look at the you know, the historical or automatic cases where there's there's no relationship, no connection to them except through the TV. And, and when you add in this whole social media platform where these higher profile individuals have their Instagram accounts and their LinkedIn accounts, and they're posting somewhat intimate, not only intimate in a sexual sense, but intimate in a, in a personal feelings and thoughts sense, that sometimes people see that and think, well, she's talking to me or he's talking to me. 
and, and I need to go meet them for dinner because that was a personal message. And they begin to then intrude on that person. Now, I mean, this actually leads to a you know, conversation we're having tonight about how you think about your scaling of your protective you know, operation. And, and if, if you're not paying attention to that noise that's out there, you're always going to apply the same remedy. And you, you've got to take the time to think about what is proximity of this person to my, my protectee's travel? What do some of these other items look like that affect my way I interpret risk? And then how do I then adjust everything to fit that? Well, and I think, I think that brings up a great point because everything is a snowflake. All risks are snowflakes. You have to examine each one, but there's so many risks out there and we, we, run, the, we run the risk of having risk fatigue. I like the way you analysts. use risk. Yeah. It's kind of let's, being at risk, right? Yeah. See what I did there? <laughs> um, but from that, we have to figure out what those priorities are. They're all requirements. What are the priorities of the day? Like you say, like, okay, what's proximity? Where are we doing? What's happening in time and space? Where's my principal, my asset? How am I protecting it? How am I connect? How a hey, first, how am I collecting these dots to connect them so I can understand where to best put my resources? Because as you indicated early on, I mean, it's not like we're in a time of milk and honey and everyone has bushels of money and resources that they're throwing on uh, security and, and risk organizations. Well, and I think, again, if you're doing it right, you're going to you're going to modify your approach based on the risk. Right. I don't, I don't do a TSCM sweep every time we go to an event. I do a TSCM sweep because risk factors have indicated espionage is a risk. Some trigger has indicated we need to do this. Exactly. So, yeah. so, so I don't I'm not always going to go out with the same package uh, on a protective mission if things have changed on the destination, if things have changed on recent intelligence that suggests there's a, a threat for us. Chuck, how do we how do we talk to our leadership about these problems? I mean, you know, CEOs or, you know, we often talk like we're good security folks, but often we need to be better at being business folks and talking about the risks that we face in a language that a decision maker can understand, like, this is what it means, you know, you know, often like, hey, we, you know, and I don't believe that scaring people is not the best way to do it. So how do you, what's your approach when you talk to folks like, hey, we need to, we need to elevate this risk. How do we do that in a way that decision makers will respond? You know, we had a, uh, a client on all hands meeting last week, actually, that did a, that made a great comment in any, any, he was asked the question by our, our employees, what do you, what do you think? are the next best certifications and training I should get. And, and he said, take a finance class. Everyone was like, everybody was like, well, that's not a CPP or no a PC or yeah. a CTM or so his point was well taken. And it goes with the same conversations you and I had about for the U S clients, right? You, you want to look at their 10 K you want to look at the investor prospectus. You want to understand what, what means the most to them. And what are the risk factors they've drawn out? Now, many times when you look at what they've identified in their 10K, it doesn't address the things that we think about, which is either because they don't think it's a risk or it never occurred to them that it should be a risk. And that's where you need to take that level of conversation. Again, not fear mongering, but let them understand the types of challenges that they could face from inside and outside the organization that may pose a risk to investor uh Absolutely. Right. So, you know, we just did our mid-year state of PI and I know everyone's going to be like, shout out for that. But in it, one of the data points that we have is that we're slowly seeing those risk factors make its way up finally into a 10K. 
because you're right, which m makes it mean hopefully that somebody's getting the message out or maybe despite of efforts, leaders are looking at that saying, hey, this is a different environment and we need to start noting these risks because those 10K risks are given up to the FCC and the U.S. government that says, hey, this is what this you know, this is what we believe are the issues. And as an investor, that's my guiding document as to whether or not this is a good investment or not. You know, and it's, uh, you may remember back early 2020, I did that article on 10Ks and yeah, executive yeah, absolutely. protection. And, and at the time, very few companies listed pandemics anywhere yeah. in their risk factors. Now, every one that you read talks about how some global infectious disease could cause a loss in market share value. Yeah, and that's a good point, too, for people who, you know, like you said, a lot of folks in the industry are small businesses or individual contributors. There's something to be said for understanding, like, you know, let's take a swath of the Fortune 50, what's in their 10Ks, what's interesting, because it also gets one to think, like, where are the opportunities as a business person? Yeah, and if you think about it from the 1970s context where assassination was the topic of the day, well, should we expect that that key personnel and defining key personnel as risk factors for them is going to become a bigger conversation as we see, you know, an attempted assassination on a on an Argentinian official or an attempted assassination on a a, a, a a business figure in the U.S. Right? These are things that we are likely going to see more of because, you know, violent ideation, access to weapons, you know, whether it's guns, knives, or poison, doesn't matter, right? Well, and again, we go back to this entire like intelligence-driven, operations-led, threat-informed environment. So, Chuck, how do people, if they wanna follow you or they wanna continue this conversation with you personally, maybe maybe they're looking at the TV and they think you're talking to them. I mean, how do they, how do, how do we make it easy for people to find you? Well, I do I do have a couple <laughs> stalkers actually, as we've mentioned that, but but LinkedIn, probably the best way. Yeah. Um, obviously go to atriskinternational.com uh, to look us up as a company. Uh, my contact information's out there. so. I'm easy to find and certainly go to any one of these conferences. I'm 99% of the time I'm somewhere on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. Chuck, thanks for coming by the booth and talking at GSX. I hope it's fruitful and I'm sure that we'll see each other soon. Yeah, always a pleasure spending time with you, Chuck. All right. Thanks, sir. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co forward slash center. Again, ontic.co forward slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music track is called Monteverde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.co or visit ontic.co forward slash center for more information. Thank you for listening.